Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today's episode 368. It's titled, How to Invest in Web3 DAOs and the Metaverse. The term Web3 is something that I only heard about this year, although we've talked about it on the show in numerous episodes when we discussed elements of the blockchain, cryptocurrency, DeFi, NFTs, and other topics along those lines. Let's start with what is Web1? Web1 was really from 1991 to 2004. When we think of Web1, we think of email, static websites, domain names, DNS, IP addresses, online purchases, search functionality. I recall as a newly minted MBA working for AT&T Capital around 1994 when Netscape came out, a browser. Prior to that, all my internet experience was just Usenet groups. There was no email that we used in the corporate setting. It was very paper-focused. But then I started hearing about the World Wide Web. About that time, I joined our investment advisory firm. We started using email, first just among ourselves and eventually with our clients. The internet bubble occurred. Everybody had their favorite .com. I opened an account at eBay, Amazon, PayPal. I had the foresight to buy the domain names for myself, jdstein.com, jdavidstein.com, the domain names for all of our children, LaPrell's domain name. I didn't have the foresight to buy one-word domain names. I wasn't that much of an early adopter. But I knew there was something here and something going on. And then by 2004, I built my own website to sell our house in Idaho. And a family from South America that was coming back to the States found it, found the website, saw the pictures of the house, and they bought it. It was very much still, though, paper and phone heavy. I recall flying to client meetings, occasionally with the founder of our firm, and he would have his briefcase just stuffed with paper. And he would spend the entire flight reading documents, newspapers, articles that he'd cut out, and then he would just stuff them in the seat back pocket. By the end of the flight, he had this huge pile of papers in the seat back. We'd arrive at the airport, and then he'd go straight to the payphone and then check his voicemail. Return calls for much longer than I had to, given I was just very much a junior associate at the time. About 2004 or 2005, Web 2.0 started. This was more about content creation. 
where Web1 was very static. You bought something from Amazon, you sent it back to you, but there wasn't a whole lot of interaction. That's what Web2 was about. I launched a blog in 2005 on the jdstein.com URL. I launched a website called Real-Time Reviews that purportedly was going to aggregate reviews of New York hotels and restaurants. I launched an investing blog anonymously in 2008 on WordPress called Now Squared. In March 2007, I signed up for Twitter. We opened Facebook accounts, Instagram, YouTube. What distinguishes Web2 is we're creating content, we're interacting, we're getting comments on our videos, our Instagram photos, but the data is still owned by central authorities, such as Facebook and Twitter. And in many ways, our attention is the product as they sell ads, track us to figure out which ads are most effective. But it was content creation, sharing, interacting, connecting, Web 2.0, but still a central authority. Launching Money for the Rest of Us was a Web 2.0 phenomena. I saw that in 2014 when I launched the show, I saw that most mobile phone owners were converting to unlimited data plans. The iPhone was very much a Web 2.0 phenomena. Web 3.0 or Web 3 is about creation and community, but the community has much more ownership of the financial rewards of what is being built. And much of the activity of Web3 is taking place on the blockchain, primarily using smart contracts. The primary organization for Web3 are decentralized autonomous organizations, or DAOs. We first discussed DAOs earlier this year in April in episode 339 on DeFi. DAOs are digitally native communities, and they center around a shared mission. DAOs are member-controlled, and they operate without a central authority. The rules of the organization of these DAOs are encoded in the blockchain via a charter, and decisions are made by consensus. DAOs have governance tokens, crypto tokens. And if you own the crypto token, you can participate in decisions. Decisions are made by consensus of the DAO token holders. The backbone of the DAO is a smart contract. The contract outlines the rules of how the DAO is organized. The contract holds the financial resources of the DAO, the treasury. The only way to change those rules is by the vote of the token holders. The decisions are made via proposal. So if you are a member of a DAO, you can author a proposal that's something the DAO should do, how the financial resources should be used, some initiative that you want the DAO to pursue, and the other token holders can vote on that. DAOs usually start with a small group of people that have an idea, and they seek like-minded individuals that want to pursue some initiatives. You can launch a DAO in about five minutes. There are a number of building blocks out there to build out a DAO. There are frameworks and operating systems such as Colony and Aragon, and those frameworks help launch the DAO. There's 
different elements of it. There's the treasury management function. There's the governance and voting functions. There are functions for contribution by members and that records how much they contribute and what their reputation is. But there's all these building blocks. Sometimes they're referred to as Lego blocks that put together to create these DAOs. And these DAOs interact. There are over 150 DAOs that are of meaningful size, that are gathering momentum in many different areas. Now, DeFi, sometimes called protocol DAOs, are some of the the more prominent ones. But there's also DAO operating systems, like, like I mentioned, Aragon. There are other investment DAOs. There are collector DAOs for collecting NFTs and other digital property. There are social DAOs. There was one DAO that was created to come together and buy an MBA team. That's their mission. Recently, a DAO was put together to buy the Constitution at auction. The two largest DAOs that I saw by number of members and size of their treasury, the Ethereum name service, ENS, and Uniswap. ENS is an open-source, community-owned, nonprofit blockchain naming system. What they do is they're similar to back in the late 90s when I bought jdstein.com. I went to GoDaddy. I registered the domain name with the domain name service, and then I could use that domain name. The ENS is very similar, but instead of using the, the long Ethereum addresses, we can use a shorter one, J.D. Stein, for example. Uniswap is a decentralized crypto trading protocol that allows for trading crypto, but it's a DAO. It's not a Coinbase that is publicly traded. It's owned by its members that own the governance token of Uniswap. And Uniswap is integrated with several hundred different trading apps and wallets. There's been 81 million trades on the Uniswap protocol, $663 billion worth of crypto trades. Now, as I explained DAOs, it sounds confusing. And it was very confusing for me as I started out. And Web3 sounds confusing. But little by little, as we get involved, we can better understand it. When I first heard about Bitcoin in 2013, it was very confusing. I tried to buy some at $40 and was unsuccessful because I didn't trust the network in order to even connect my bank account to buy it. The first Bitcoin episode of Money for the Rest of Us was episode 53 in April 2015. A listener sent me a Bitcoin following that episode. I, op- I got a wallet. He sent me the coin. It's like, there's something here. So I went and I bought some Bitcoin at about three to $400 per coin. My first introduction to Ethereum was in 2017. I did a plus episode for members of Money for the Restless Plus in June 2017 and tried to really understand what is this. And I, I admit it was confusing. Smart contracts. What's that? A couple months later, I bought my first Ether at about $200 per Ether. And I took a more significant stake in Bitcoin. Earlier this year, we did episodes on NFTs, non-fungible tokens, episode 339 in April. After that episode, I took smaller positions in 16 cryptocurrencies, altcoins, suggestions from friends and other research that I did. 
Turns out some of them were DAO. I bought Uniswap was one of the tokens I bought. The point is then, we're not going to know at the beginning. But if we see something that is getting a lot of attention that we don't understand, we can figure it out little by little. We're seeing the birth of an entirely new organizational system, financial system. And it's threatening to many. It's confusing to most of us. We don't know where it's going. But it behooves us to to participate, to try to understand and go along for the ride. So as part of my foray into Web3, I decided, well, I'll buy my domain name, jdstein.eth, on the ENS to register it. This is a name I can use on many different DeFi apps or other Web3 apps because those apps integrate with ENS. And then I can use J.D. Stein as part of that particular DAO or other Web3 app. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. That's M-O-N. A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. You can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. What I found with a number of these DAOs and apps, you actually have to link a crypto wallet that holds Ether. So I went on my Coinbase Pro account where I own many of those 
smaller cryptocurrencies. Most of my cryptocurrency exposure is held in cold storage with a Trezor wallet. But for Web3, it's helpful to have a wallet on your phone that you can move over Ether and interact with these websites. I bought $500 worth of Ether. I sent it to a Coinbase wallet that I downloaded on my phone. It cost about $13.50 to transfer that Ether to my wallet. It's about 2.5%, which seems high, and the Coinbase wallet warned that transaction fees were high on the Ethereum network at the time. Once the money was there, I went to the ENS, and it wanted to connect my wallet. I could take the Coinbase wallet on my phone and then scan the QR code on the ENS website, and then it connected it. At that point, I registered the jdstein.eth ENS name. 10 years worth was $54.97. And then I was absolutely floored because the transaction fees to process it on the Ethereum blockchain was going to be over $200. At the end of the day, it costs $300 of transaction fees to buy the ENS name and to register it. The Ethereum blockchain and most DAOs run on Ethereum. Most NFTs run on Ethereum. And there's a limited amount of space. It can get congested. There's a term called gas, which refers to the computational effort to run the Ethereum network to verify transactions, the resources that it takes. And because there are limited amount of capacity in each block of data that has these transactions, I could go on the Ethereum blockchain, for example, and I could see the transaction of me sending the Ether from Coinbase Pro to my Coinbase wallet. I could see the Ether going to ENS, and then I could see the transaction fees. In August, Ethereum switched how they were calculating these transaction fees to make it more straightforward what the fee would be so you didn't get these big spikes. You could better estimate the fee. There's a base fee, and then on top of that, there's a priority fee or a tip. And the amount of the fee depends on how crowded the blockchain is at level one. What's interesting, though, is the base fee, those fees don't go to anybody. They're burned, which means the, the ether that is sent as part of that gets sent to a crypto address with no private key. So they could never be accessed. So if we look at what's going on in the ether network, based on just what happened in the last several days, 3.3 million ether will be burned as part of base fees this year. And only 5.4 million new ether will be issued. And so due to that burn rate, Ether, the amount in the network is only growing about 1.8% per year. Now, there are other solutions, and we talked about this a number of episodes ago in looking at Bitcoin. There are other layers that can be on top of the base layer of Ethereum. Polygon, for example, is a protocol and framework whose token I bought last April. It allows Ethereum-compatible blockchain networks to come together and facilitate transaction without necessarily running through the main Ethereum level with the very high transaction fees because there's essentially congestion pricing. So many NFTs are being created and other trades on the Ethereum blockchain that we need another level to facilitate that. The same thing works in the traditional financial system. 
you and I are not interacting directly with the Federal Reserve. We don't get, at this point, Federal Reserve, reserve assets, base money. No, we have to use financial networks built on top of that, the commercial banking system, or payment networks like Visa. Cryptocurrency works the same way, and the Ethereum network. We have to pay up to be part of that base layer. And in this case, I did, and it was expensive. One of the interesting things going on with the Ethereum network is it's moving from proof of work with miners competing to validate transactions and be given rewards of Ether to proof of stake, where anybody that puts up 32 Ether can participate in validating transactions. And it'll be, there's some randomness to it, but you can earn additional Ether by being part of this network. But it's no longer massive amount of people massive amount of servers validating it and the energy waste of that. So I bought my jdstein.eth on the ENS network. And one reason I bought it, because it was another DAO called Mir. It's for writing projects. It's for creators. A number of the posts I read on DAOs were written in this mir.xys and people would have their username. So I established an account on Mir so I could start writing if I wanted to. I could mint NFTs of my writing. Perhaps I can turn a podcast into an NFT. One of the other coins I bought in April is Decentraland, which is a kind of metaverse. Part of Web 2 was Second Life. I got on Second Life and you could have your avatar and you can walk around, fly around, I guess. I didn't quite get it. Decentraland is similar. You can buy digital goods. Plots of land. I'll admit, I was a little underwhelmed when I got on again. Now, I'm not a big gamer. I'm floating around. I'm walking around, and and I come bored within 10 minutes. But it's just another aspect, and that's an aspect of the metaverse, which can include virtual worlds. It can include augmented reality. There can be some gaming aspects to it. It's part of this whole DAO and Web3 universe. There are blockchains that compete with Ethereum that I own small positions in. Avalanche, Solana, Luna, Cardano. As you start researching this, slowly things start to make more sense. I have a lot more work to do. And it's one of my big focuses over the next year because this is starting to attract a lot of attention. It's starting to attract a lot of talent. Lapril and I were driving across the country in the last couple of weeks, and we listened to a podcast episode that a Plus member recommended by Tim Ferriss, where he and Chris Dixon and Naval Ravikant spent several hours discussing Web3, DAOs, NFTs, and all the different aspects. It was two hours, but LaPro and I spent four to five hours talking about it because we would stop and it's like, what are they talking about? How does that work? Etc. So it'll take time to capture, but this is incredibly fascinating. So how do you invest in Web3? Well, the simplest way is purchase some Ether and hold it, or maybe some of the other blockchain competitors. Most of the activity, the vast majority of DAOs is occurring on Ether. And I, I do believe there's a network effect that seeing what is doing well is getting the most attention there's some benefit to participating in that because a lot of these building blocks are all built on the Ethereum network and they come together and it's the integration of many different aspects. 
that is building out Web3. So you can participate by buying coins. Probably more importantly, you can join some DAOs. They're all open to anybody. They're decentralized. Explore them. I'll have some links in the show notes where you can pull up and it lists off all the different DAOs. And you can read their charter, their governance structure, what their mission is. You can get involved on their Discord channel to discuss what they're talking about, to ask questions. You could launch a DAO. As I start to understand this more, I think I've mentioned I'm writing another book. Maybe there's some aspect to a DAO that, that could be used in publishing this book over the next couple of years or seeing how the podcast evolves. This is how big this is and, and fascinating it is. We don't know where it's going. Maybe you mint an NFT. There's plenty to learn. And we're really, really early in the process. So when we talk about investing in Web3, in DAOs, in the metaverse, we're investing our time to understand, to be involved, to see how these grassroots organizations that are running autonomously on the blockchain, how they work and participate in how things evolve. We can also invest our money. You can buy a bunch of different DAO tokens. One of the things going on with ENS is they just airdropped their token for the Ethereum naming service. And those that worked on the project get access, they get free tokens because of their contribution over time. And now the ENS token is starting to trade on the exchange. In the case of ENS, they have a revenue source. They're generating cash flow because people pay to register their ENS name. We invest then in Web3 and DAOs with our time and our money. I'm sure I'll do additional episodes. And we shouldn't beat ourselves up because we feel like we're late. We don't really understand. It takes time. This is the fourth episode I've done this year on some version of Web3. I didn't call it that, but I did the episode on DeFi. I did the episode on NFTs, released the episode on Bitcoin, and now this one. And every time I understand it a little more and the pieces start to fall together and it excites me to explore more and understand more to see how this aspect of the world is evolving and we can participate. We'll see how governments react to it. Obviously, there'll be regulation, et cetera, because people and organizations are threatened. But this is as big as Web 1, which completely transformed our world. And as big as Web 2, which did the same. Web 3 will be the exact same. Let's see where it goes. That's episode 368. I'd like to help you become a better investor. Certainly the free podcast helps with that. But have you subscribed to my email newsletter? It's where I share an essay on money investing in the economy each week to that list of thousands of email subscribers. I put a great deal of thought and time into that newsletter, and I would love you to be able to read it and learn from it. You can sign up for the Insider's Guide newsletter at moneyfortherestofus.com. Another way I would love to help you become a better investor is by you becoming a member of Money for the Rest of Us Plus. This is the premier investment education platform that's been operating for almost seven years now. Plus membership gives members the tools and resources they need to manage their investment portfolios. 
Not only can you tap into my more than two decades of investment experience, look at my portfolio trades, but my research is backed by top-tier institutional research partners such as Ned Davis Research, Capital Economics, MSCI, Refinitiv Data Stream. I curate the most important content and lessons to help you make better portfolio decisions. You also access a community of over a thousand members to get their insights. Money for the Rest was Plus is a bargain compared to a college credit or subscribing to institutional research services that cost tens of thousands of dollars per year or even hiring a financial advisor. You can learn more at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing in the economy. Have a great week.